Welcome to First in Future, where emerging ideas take flight. This weekly podcast is presented by North Carolina State University's Institute for Emerging Issues. And now to our host, the director of the Institute for Emerging Issues, Leslie Boney. Welcome to First in Future Live, a bi-weekly program of North Carolina State's Institute for Emerging Issues. Today is the second part of a series of podcasts we're going to be doing over the next few months that are focusing on how we can increase the percentage of people in North Carolina who have some sort of credential beyond high school. It could be a four-year degree. It could be a two-year degree. It could be some sort of certificate. What we know is that we need more people with that kind of education just beyond high school that really takes them and transports them to have the skills that they need in order to do the jobs of today and tomorrow. The state has set a super clear goal based on the best analysis that people could put together. They've determined that in order to meet the needs of North Carolina's economy by 2030, we need 2 million people between the ages of 25 and 44 who have some sort of meaningful credential beyond high school. Why? Because as best we can figure, the, that is the number of jobs that are going to require that kind of training. So where are we now? Right now, uh, 49% of 25 to 44-year-olds have that high-quality credential beyond high school. Our target to get to 2 million is 67%. The challenge is if we do nothing, if we change nothing, we're going to fall 400,000 people short. The question is, how do we get there? We know that getting more people, more education doesn't work if you just say 2 million all across the state. Uh, One of my bosses used to say, if everybody's responsible, nobody's responsible. And one of the efforts of the My Future NC Commission and others throughout the state is to begin to tell the story of how attainment and, and increasing attainment is a county by county responsibility. It's a family by family responsibility. It's an individual responsibility. People need to make that decision that it's in their best interest to go on and get that additional credential. And as you'll see from this map, the percentages in different counties varies widely. We have uh, numbers as low as 13% in Turrell County in the eastern part of our state who have an associate's degree or more, whereas in Orange County, it's uh, above 66% of people who have that associate's degree or more. So what we know is that the solutions on a local level are going to look very different depending on where they are, what the job mix is. So addressing those particular differences is what we're talking about today. Please welcome our guests. Dale Jenkins is the co-chair of the My Future NC Commission, a statewide group that is laser focused on figuring out ways to address this challenge. Dale, welcome. Laura Leatherwood is president of Blue Ridge Community College, which has campuses in Transylvania and Henderson counties. Laura, thank you for making the time this morning. Thank you, Leslie. It's a pleasure to be with you. Reverend James Galeyard is also a member of the House of Representatives, and uh, we are blessed that they did not call any votes this morning, so he's able to be with us. He's also the senior pastor of Word Tabernacle Church in Rocky Mount. Uh, which is doing a lot of interesting work when it comes to attainment that you might not expect. Reverend Gaylaird, thank you for taking time while the session's still on. Thanks for having me, Leslie. Uh, Dale, let me start with you. As co-chair of My Future NC, you helped set this ambitious goal of 2 million. And 
progress was beginning. You were starting down the road, and then we had this gigantic disruption. Can you tell us uh, what that's done to progress toward the goal? Well, it, 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 let me first say that uh, I'm a little worried that that initial goal we set is not aggressive enough. Uh, when, when you look at uh, the activity that occurred even during COVID, uh, with announcements of companies coming to North Carolina, I'm beginning to worry that we aren't going to have enough skilled workers, even if we hit two million by 2030. But certainly, COVID has set things back. You know, we today we think we're probably about 45,000 short, maybe 44,000 short of where we need to be as of 2021. Um, it's a continual challenge. Uh, I think if you look at you know the landscape across our state, we're seeing great, great growth. Um, in the business community, that is going to demand more and more skilled workers. Frankly, I'm concerned that um, where we are today is going to is going to kind of stunt that growth going forward if we're not careful. So it is a very important task we have in front of us. Um, I'm excited about my future in C. The reason I got involved initially with it is because I saw an opportunity where the intersection of business, education, and government really could come together. Uh, you had the sector leaders of all the education units in North Carolina. You had representatives from government and you had representatives from business. They all were at a table talking about these issues. They could make things happen, I felt like, as opposed to kind of having to lob things in from the outside periodically. So um, it's a big it's a big objective. It's a big goal. But it's um, it's not a nice to have. It's a must have, I think, for North Carolina. You know, I don't know that I've heard in recent years, maybe since the late 90s, as many employers talking about the difficulty of getting workers at all uh, and holding on to workers. And I'm wondering, you're a just stepped down CEO of a, of a major company. I'm wondering whether you think the principal challenge is that there aren't enough workers or that those workers don't have the right skills for the jobs that are out there. You know, it's prob probably... Um a combination of both with, with a with a little bit more emphasis on the on the latter, I think. Um, you know, we have 10 and a half million North Carolinians. Um, and as you point out, you know, we're really only talking about 67 uh, percent, even if we attain the goal of two million, 67 percent having a degree or a high quality certificate. So, um, you know, I think it is I think it is the fact mainly that we don't have the education level that we need. Um, that is the opportunity. And, you know, when you think about you know, the workforce being 25 to 44, only 2 million of those, um, you know, we're only trying to get 2 million, only 2 million. I mean, that's, that's another million that could be theoretically trained to supply the workforce needs. Um, so I think, I think it is uh, an opportunity to educate people. And when we do that, they're going to, you know, that's, that's good for them. It's not just good for business. It's good for the individual. I mean, this is really a, this is really a, I think a process and a goal that is trying to help people reach their potential. I mean, we all have God-given potential in this state. And, you know, if we can be educated and, and trained in a way that gives us a fulfilling and, and meaningful career, uh, that's not just good for business. That's good for individuals. You have started with this, this large goal that you've talked about. More recently, My Future NC has, has begun to focus more on local goals and getting local information out to folks. Why is it so important to have attainment owned, for lack of a better word, on a local level? You know, we, we are a, um, geographically a big state, and from a diverse standpoint, we have lots of businesses across North Carolina that um, 
you know, are very different based on the geographic regions. And so, uh, you know, having an organization that's based in Raleigh kind of dictating what is needed in Hendersonville or Elizabeth City or Wilmington or, you know, Avery County, that, that um, it, it, it's nice in theory, but in practice, what really needs to happen is people in those local communities need to be engaged. They know best what uh, those businesses need. They know best, you know, what their people uh, need to be motivated and encouraged to get the skills necessary to uh, to uh, fill those jobs. So it would be totally wrong if this were just a, a very centralized oper you know, operation uh, and, and it didn't have opportunities to go out into communities, work with specific individuals, have champions in those communities who can coalesce teams of individuals who then can help you know, uh, put processes and procedures in place so that the training could be um, realized, the education could be realized to compete for those jobs that are necessary. So HAP absolutely has to have local involvement. If it doesn't have local involvement, there's, in my opinion, there's really little chance we'll be successful. Irvin Galear, that local involvement, you know, if someone asked uh, who, who should be the solution in local involvement, uh, I don't know that they'd immediately say their church, but your church has a number of ministries, and among them has been working with your church members to get greater degrees of education and connect them to community colleges and others that can deliver that kind of education to them. Why is that an important ministry for your church? Well, you know, I think for starters, we have to recognize that um, the faith community is one of the more robust and easily tapped into communities in our state. I mean, it's, when you start looking at asset-based community development, every community has a church as an asset. Um, with the exception of, I think, Texas and Florida, we have more churches here than any other state in America. And so we have these built-in assets in every community. For us at the local level, we have a vested interest in seeing people really live thriving lives. And we know a big part of that is around education. And so for us, it's about how we leverage captive audiences. We have a captive audience of people that trust the work of the church. They come on Sunday morning, midweek services, they bring their children, et cetera. We say, okay, we have this captive audience around spiritual purposes. How do we then leverage it for something broader? How do we leverage it around healthcare? How do we leverage it around education? How do we leverage it around housing? Um, so what we've discovered and our local employers are discovering is that sometimes they do better with sharing job announcements with the church and with community-based organizations than with even other organizations. Um, because when we put it out on Sunday morning, we put it out on our media, it's touching in some situations, tens of thousands of people. Um, and so I think this is a valuable asset for businesses to tap into. So you're activating your particular church network, but you've also been doing some evangelism, I guess, again, for lack of a better word, with your other pastors and trying to get them to feel the spirit and, and embrace that same idea, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's no doubt. Uh, we have we started the Eastern North Carolina Ministerial Alliance. Interestingly enough, it started out of a program we were doing with UNC, Gilling School of Public Health. It was really around a health initiative with our local AHAC. Um, but then it broadened into education issues. And so now we have 115 churches and we take the footprint of our COG, our Council of Government. We're in the Upper Coastal Plain Council of Government. So we have Nash, Edgecombe, Wilson, Halifax and Northampton counties. So that same footprint, five county footprint, we take for our alliance. And so we have 115 churches now, different denominations, different races of churches. We just want churches embedded in the community. And I'll, I'll add this, Leslie, 
this work is important too, particularly in rural areas, because in many of our rural communities, sometimes the only, the trusted voice is going to be that church. And we kind of know where the players are, we know where the people are, and we know how to get that message to people that ordinarily aren't easy to get to. Dr. Leatherwood, uh, Blue Ridge Community College is in many ways ground zero for anyone who's looking to increase credentials in Henderson and Transylvania County. How would you summarize the role broadly of the community college in helping to meet attainment goals? What do you see as, as your role? Well, so I, I want to take a step back and think about my future created county profiles for e every single county in the state of North Carolina. And so once we started looking at our local data, then that gave us the ability of where are we going to target our efforts? Where can we have the most impact? And, and obviously it's the adults. But I go back to what Reverend Galliard said is that touching these rural communities. So we our community colleges are the whole idea behind community colleges is that we are no we're no more than 30 minutes away from every single citizen in the state of North Carolina. So that embeds our colleges in these rural communities. So what better way uh, to do that? And that's exactly what we're doing, certainly in Henderson and Transylvania County, which is our, our local area. So we have one urban county and one rural county. And, and of course, the strategies are, are different. But I think the beauty of, of community colleges really is that we're right there with them, helping them to reach those goals. And we're not sitting back waiting for people to come to us. We're actually engaging uh, the community at, at the local level, but also at the regional level. Over the summer, you, you started a new effort called uh, Better Skills, Better Jobs, and just wanted to show people where, where some of those initiatives are. It's, it involves Blue Ridge uh, Community College, but it also involves four other community colleges across the state. And um, if this effort is designed specifically, as you were alluding to, to looking out for those adult learners and trying to figure out ways to attract them back. And there were some pretty substantive efforts that you mounted this summer and um, it's resulted indirectly or directly in you're really having a boom in enrollment this fall. And I'm wondering you know, what was the magic? <laughs> what did you do? Uh, what did well, you find that worked? Well, thinking about Leslie, even just the campaign itself, we, Typically, colleges and universities market themselves based on the traditional high school student that are going straight into college, right? When in fact, if you're going to message yourself and you're going to attract adults, the message needs to be very, very different. It needs to be very simple, too. That's where we came up with the better skills, better jobs. But in particular, one of the things that we focused on, we determined that we wanted to, you showed a chart about people that have some degree or some college, no degree or no credential. We targeted a group that were 50% toward completion of a credential or a degree and five years out and age, between the ages of 25 and 44. And if we could target those, then we could actually connect with those individuals and say, hey, you're close. Let's help you get finished. Let's help you get across that finish line. And so that's really the focus of what the five colleges actually selected to do. And there's there's opportunity in every community with adults. That's, there's just no question about that. But another strategy, a priority that we use too, is that you can really never have enough capacity to reach everybody in these rural communities. But 
what you did is you capitalized on something that Reverend Gellyard said is that we used our nonprofits, our faith-based organizations, our social service agencies, our health departments to help get that message out. So it gave us almost foot soldiers that we could go out and connect in every single community, rural, urban, metropolitan area and, and get that message out about the opportunities and connect with them. And once we did that, we started seeing them come back. And so our early data show that we're seeing a significant increase in the adult population coming back to us and actually completing this fall. So long-term yet to be determined, but we think that we are moving the needle with these, these simple strategies. Uh, let's let's put up that slide again. We we showed it briefly just for a second to give you a sense of the range of different um, uh, challenges that communities face. We talked about there are some uh, high achieving counties where uh, a great percentage of people already have an associate's degree or more, uh, and then th those numbers uh, vary pretty widely. Um, but each county has a particular challenge when it comes to attracting back those adult workers. In Transylvania County, it's about 25% of people uh, that have some college, no degree. Uh, about the same in Nash County, I think it's 22% in Edgecombe County, Reverend Gailiard. And uh, so as counties begin to do this, you find that, for example, New Hanover County, which has a, an above 50% number of people who have an associate's degree or more, but there are also a lot of people there that have 22% uh, of those folks who have some college, no degree. In Onslow County, it's more than a third of people who have some college, no degree. Same in Hyde County. In other counties, the challenge is that people dropped out before they got out of high school. And so the remediation and the effort that is underway in those counties is going to be more focused on getting people to GED and then that certificate maybe just beyond that. Um, so Reverend Gailiard, I'm wondering what your message is to those who uh, stopped out the first time and did not complete the degree. Yeah, well, we that's the sermon I'm preaching all the time to encourage people to kind of take the next step um, in, in any regard. I mean, not just going back to get an associate's or you know a, a master's or a bachelor's or a master's. I think I think Dale is right with the statement he made early on. I think our I think our estimation of two million is a little conservative. And when we look at the broader issues that we have to deal with, I think we have to encourage people, particularly in access routes and pathways, to get those high-level certificates. There's a lot of great jobs that people can have that don't necessarily require a degree. And so helping people to understand, helping them address that fear factor, that fear factor of, you know, you can succeed this time you do it, helping them to, in some situations, we're seeing successes by just bringing the community college to the local church. Um, because you have situations, in, again, in rural communities and, and Dr. Leatherwood is correct. I mean, they are 30 minutes, you know, they can touch people in so many areas, but you do have some remote rural communities where it might be easier to get to that local church to do that GED program or to do that certificate program or that skills program. So for us, it's really just about keeping the bar high and keep encouraging people to press through to kind of do the next step. You know, Leslie, I think one of our challenges, I think, is is we, we have a, 
an immense marketing opportunity here because I think historically we've, we've, we've kind of ingrained in people that, you know, when you go to high school, the next step is to get a four-year college degree. That is not required anymore. That is not necessary. And there's no stigma needs to be attached to individuals who may get associate's degrees or may get high-quality certificates because really the end objective is to get that high-quality job, that satisfying job that gives you a rewarding and fulfilling career. So we've got to get this message out, as, as we've been talking here, that it's okay if you don't go to a four-year institution. You know, it is fine. Uh, what is really relevant is you reach your potential, and you can do that in different ways here in North Carolina these days. Yeah, and Look, I, go ahead. I was going to say, I was going to kind of piggyback off what Dale just said. Um, if you, and frankly, what we're hearing from our companies, our local companies, is that they can't wait four years for, for a high-skilled employee. They can't wait two years even. And so how can we fast track, get people back? Frankly, it's a business imperative locally, regionally, and statewide. We need to get these companies the workforce that they need. And we, do, we need to do it as quickly as possible. Yeah, that's a there great all sorts of stories that I think you've all sorts of stories that you've probably heard, uh, Dr. Leatherwood, about uh, the, the difficulty of keeping people enrolled in community college courses, because sometimes even before they finish getting that credential, companies say, I think you know enough and I'll give you a job right now. And, and so sometimes you don't even get the completion because somebody says, OK, that's enough. That's enough. We need you now. And and that can be frustrating, I know. Well, well, what we do, though, is we work with the company and we shift. So we are the ones that pivot so that student can work at the same time. Maybe they're they're finishing their credentials. So, yes, we can do both. We it's not one or the other. It's both at the same time. Yeah. Dale, I interrupted you. Sorry. No, I, I was going to say that, you know, the last time I checked, there was like 40,000 unfilled IT jobs in North Carolina. And, you know, that. Think about that, 40,000 unfilled IT jobs, and that's before Apple gets here and others that have announced, you know, recent ex expansions or, you know, they're coming to North Carolina. So, you know, uh, one of the things that is, that, I, that is going on now is some of those companies are coming together and, and saying, these are the skills we need. We may not need some of the current programs that are out there today could be modified so that we could get workers faster, as Laura just pointed out. I mean, some of them can't wait, you know, that long. So... I think we have to be open-minded about some alternative education arrangements. You know, maybe things that we haven't tried in the past, we haven't done in the past. Um, if we are, if we have to be willing to do that, I think in order to to meet the needs that are out there. Reverend Galeard, you have I can't remember the last numbers, but let's say well north of two thousand parishioners uh, who are um, in your congregation, and you've got a group of people that needs to listen to you, whether they do or not on Sundays, I guess varies, but uh, they, they pay attention to you. They trust you. Uh, how do you, how do you form relationships with employers to, to be able to work with them and figure out exactly what they need and make sure that they know that your, some of your parishioners have the skills that they need to work for them. What's your connection there? How do you do yeah, that? Yeah. That's a great question. Believe it or not, when we came here 16 years ago, the very first organization we became a member of was the Rocky Mount Chamber of Commerce. Um, and so we started day one building relationships with business owners, with CEOs, with hiring managers, um, because we recognized we did a survey in our congregation and we found out that at one point in the life of our church, we had a 36 percent unemployment rate. 
And so we knew that the church would not grow if we didn't help people find jobs. And so we, we jumped into that space. And so now over time, having worked with the chamber, which we do a tremendous amount of work, working with our larger employers. So for us, it's, it's Rocky Mountain engine plant, you know, who makes the Cummins diesel engine. It's, it's um, Pfizer, um, it's Hospira rather. Um, those are some of our Firestone, um, the, the tire manufacturer. So working Cheesecake Factory, working with Purdue, working with those larger employers in our area, identifying what the needs are, because I think this is where the intersection is. Laura's great at saying to the employer, hey, because we see this all the time, tell me the skill set you need and we can create a curriculum around it and we can make sure we can produce it. The problem is there are some other skills that are not necessarily taught that employers need around work ethic, around team building, around how not to be on your phone while you're on the assembly line. I mean, these are some really basic things that really are better communicated with a trusted voice and a trusted audience. And so that's kind of where a guy like me comes in because there's a group of people we're not talking about in this conversation that absolutely has to get talked about if we're gonna make the goal. That is those 16 and 19 year old disconnected youth who are out of, who dropped out of school and also are not working. We have thousands, tens of thousands of them in the state. And we recognize that if we don't help them get the skill and help them get the skills necessary to work, they're gonna be in a pipeline already that's gonna end either to imprisonment or death. And so we've got to find a way to incorporate that group. And I think that's where the partnerships, Dale talked about the formation. I was fortunate enough to be with my future NC from day one before I was an elected official. And the charm of it was all the stakeholders were at the table. That's what's going to take it at a local level to get this across the finish line in the same way that you have business and community and education and philanthropy, I might add, in the same way you have all of them at the table to create the formation of My Future NC, we need them at the table at a local level because each of us play a different role, but each of the roles are, are pivotal. I wanted to show just one more slide, and this is a, a group of local initiatives that have come together across the state that are really trying to do that matchmaking that uh, both uh, Dr. Leatherwood and Reverend Gailiard and uh, Mr. Jenkins have all spoken about. They're called Local Education Attainment Collaboratives. And this is a joint project of NC Impact over at UNC Chapel Hill and My Future NC. And these are uh, counties or clumps of counties that are coming together and saying that uh, it's going to be better if education systems can work better and more intentionally with the employers in the area to make sure that people are getting those skills. So you'll see a group in light green in the western part of the state. That's one that uh, uh, Blue Ridge Community College and others are part of through the Land of Sky area. There's a step partnership in Nash and Edgecombe counties where Reverend Gaylard's church is. And there are 13 others across the state. In fact, they're meeting today to talk about uh, local education attainment collaboratives, how they can work together. What's the value of uh, looking regionally? So we've talked about kind of at a county level, but uh, in many of these LEACs, these uh, local education attainment collaboratives, they're saying, look, the workforce really is regional. People are commuting from county to county, and we know that's true. What's the importance of thinking regionally? 
Well, I'll just jump in real quick because I was going to make that very point. Our, our step program is, you know, strategic twin counties. And so Rocky Mount has a divide between Edgecombe and Nash County. We have Wilson County very close by. And I think that is going to be the real appeal to our rural communities. We're going to have to work regionally and together um, because none of us have within our own uh, counties all the resources necessary to do the work we have to do. And if other areas are... Um, you know, you talk about Raleigh and Durham and areas like that, they work strategically together. We certainly have to do that. And so um, we're finding that in to, the, the charm of being successful here is expanding to two, three, four counties. Now, of course, that's when you get into the politics of things. You've got to get county commissioners working together and school board folk working together and community colleges working together. But I do think that people recognize, I mean, listen, when I leave my driveway to go to Raleigh, in 45 minutes, I'm, I'm from my driveway to my office in Raleigh. It's not a bad commute. I would even argue it's probably a better commute from some folk, folk living in Raleigh, depending on where they have to go in that area. So, you know, I have no traffic. It's a nice, easy ride. I can listen to my audible. And I think employers are recognizing when you come into an area, you're going to cast a net. That's going to be perhaps a 45 minute um, commute. And we're also having migration of people coming here that are used to the traffic of LA or Chicago or Atlanta. So for them to have to travel 40, 45, 50 minutes to work is really not a big deal for them. And so we have to look at that regional approach. And, and I can kind of speak to the land of sky, which is we've got Madison, Buncombe, Henderson and Transylvania County. And it's the, our, our collaborative, we actually started it the probably the week or two after My Future NC had their beat convening at, at NC State and actually codified the My Future NC goal, um, we came back and said, okay, what does that mean for us? And how can we come together and figure out how to help our region, right? And, and you know, he just mentioned that this in-migration, out-migration, people work, may work in a rural community, but travel to Buncombe County, or they may live in Buncombe County and travel to Henderson County to work. So you can't look at a singular county and think that you can do this work. You, there's just so much connection and there's so much to be gained from uh, a support and a capacity. And there's so many great practices that are happening, even in our rural communities, that could actually be replicated in some of our urban, more urban spaces. And the same thing in the urban area or inner city that could be replicated out in our rural communities. So there, there's just, we cannot think just by county, we've got to think regionally now in just about everything that we do. Thank you. We welcome your questions. We appreciate your listening in and, and commenting. We have a comment on LinkedIn now from uh, Karen Schultz, who says, our community colleges need corporate support, machinery, and commitment. Students need to get introductory skills starting in junior high school. Corporations must support and continue their education with reimbursement. Uh, IT cannot continue without mining, material production, machining, material finishing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there are about five thoughts in there. Um, Laura, maybe a quick reaction to this? Yeah, she's talking about public-private partnership is exactly what she's talking about. So who stands to gain the most? Obviously, our communities do, but our companies uh, stand to gain the most in terms of a high-skilled workforce. And she's exactly right. We need our companies to make an investment in our colleges and in our communities to actually do this work. And, 
and we saw over the pandemic, we saw what I would call innovation acceleration. Like if you were a person and you were breathing with this pandemic, you were a liability to our companies, right? And so you saw technology, just like the technology we're using today, it just took off. Well, that means that now we have to have people that are able to work that technology. So if we don't have our companies helping us to invest and keep up with that technology so people are trained on that, then we're going to fall even further, further behind. So Karen is exactly right. Private investment has to be part of the solution for this work. Dale, what's your take on where the state's statewide business community is on this issue? How, how far in are they and, and what are they, what do you see them doing that encourages you and what do you not see them doing that you wish they were? You know, I think I think they are as eager to get involved as I've ever seen. I think the needs are so great these days that uh, they really don't have a choice. They have to participate. They have to get engaged. Um, and and I think they're I think they're seeing ways to um, to influence you know training and education uh, perhaps in, in ways they've never seen in the past. You know, it's we businesses sort of need easy buttons in some respects. They need a, a ability to go to the community college level or if they go to the university system or the local high schools or whatever. They need entry points that are easy. They need access that is easy. And so I think that is becoming more and more available. I think, you know, folks like Laura and others are making themselves available to businesses in their local communities. So I think the business engagement is, is uh, improving. It could always be better. You know, uh, you know, there's always examples that you can point to here in Raleigh. You know, Epic Games and Wake Tech have, have done a nice partnership in the gaming business, for example. So there need to be more. There needs to be more and more opportunities like that across the state. And I think that is happening because I think educators are, are being more and more receptive to listening to the voice of business. And that is encouraging to me. Um, I, I wish, um, you know, I, I guess in I, things I wish, I wish we would. Um, from a business perspective, I wish there would be more focus on the high school level, though, because I think that's where we're missing some opportunity. You know, the statistic is that only of, of, a, of 100 kids going into the ninth grade, only 31 of them will graduate in six years after uh, four years. They will only 31 percent will graduate with a, a degree six years after after high school. So you think about that 60, you know, 69 percent of those kids entering the ninth grade aren't gonna be you know, getting any kind of certificate within six years of potentially graduating from high school. So I think the, I think the opportunity for business right now is to help high school kids understand career opportunities. I, th I think that's where we're missing, some, missing a, some potential because too many kids think, you know, well, do I need to be a doctor? Do I need to be a lawyer? Do I need to be an engineer? Do I need to be a, you know, IT person? They don't, they don't have a grasp of all the variety of opportunities and careers that they could avail themselves of. And so if, if I could wish one thing right now, I would wish business would get more engaged in high schools so that high schoolers see potential beyond what we typically have seen in the past. That's the one opportunity I think that, that businesses have to really make an impact uh, beyond what's already happening with, um, you know, collaborations that are going on with um you know, folks in community colleges and, and universities. And Dale, I would even take that a step further. I would take it even stepping back into our middle school in career exploration. So we've almost waited too late. If we're waiting till high school, 
we need to start planting the seeds with the parents and with the kids at a very early age in terms of exploring and just starting to think and try some things out much earlier. And I think that's a discussion that we're starting to have. And frankly, we just, we actually had it yesterday. That's a really important population. Yeah. Well, I think it can be as simple as, you know, if you go back to the middle schools, why couldn't you have, you know, the career fairs? Why couldn't you have businesses show up, you know, periodically and do presentations to classes? It just seems to me that's a, a wonderful opportunity to, you know, begin those young minds to think, you know, to begin thinking about what opportunities are out there for them, what are their interests, how they can align things that they really are interested in. They could turn that into a career potentially, you know. Reverend Galeyard, what seems to resonate with the teenagers in your congregation? You mentioned the disconnected youth, uh, ages 16 to 19. What is it going to take to get, get folks' attention and have them have them embrace this? You know, it's one thing for the state to declare that it's really important for uh, people to have a meaningful credential beyond high school. It's, it's another thing for each individual person to make that decision. And I'm wondering whether you have any uh, magic that you've you've discovered that uh, really helps people to get that message before you know, they maybe make a bad decision. Sure, yeah, and I, I don't know about magic, but I, I was just nodding in an amen to what Dale and Laura was saying. I was thinking, man, if we were in church, I'd pass the offering basket right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I really, the key here is creation of access routes and career pathways beginning at the middle school level. That is the answer. And I know it's a long haul for business because, you know, they've got to wait for that middle school student to get all the way through the pipeline um, and maybe even into a, a, a community college for a year or two. But children, my middle school kids, the ones that are doing the best are the ones that, and we try to do it with all of them, it's all about exposure. It is all about recognizing what is possible. And this, I mean, this goes to the, when we start looking at particularly African-American males, I think I would be remiss not to just touch on that for a moment because that's a population that we're really struggling with in this process. All the data, and you know, and I've served on the diversity task force inclusion task force around this issue. When you look at the dropout rate of African-American males, the single biggest factor beyond social demographics and economics and all of that, the single biggest factor is never having had a teacher that looked like them. It just speaks to the value of exposure. And when young people recognize them, when they recognize you can graduate high school, go to Nash Community College, spend 16 weeks in a program that Duke Energy will pay for, and you become a lineman at 19 years old at $45,000 a year, when they recognize that opportunity is available, when they recognize the, the need for skilled labor, when they recognize you can own a business by owning your own truck driving business, your own plumbing business. When they recognize these possibilities, then I think the world kind of opens up to them. The single biggest magic of anything for my people right now is just all around technology and really helping them understand how you leverage technology. We're piloting a program right now with students that are going to be in communities and schools, boys and girls club. Um, and, and after school programs at community and faith-based organizations where they're gonna start doing mobile app testing. Right? They're gonna be, they all have a cell phone anyway. So you know what, the first 30 minutes that you're with us, 
before we do tutoring, here's the app we're going to test and we're going to do mobile app testing. And we're going to try to develop an interest around mobile app testing because it's a great opportunity for, for business development to leverage resources in other parts of the state. So then we can say to the great work that's going on in Winston-Salem and, and the triad, hey, when you as you're developing all these new mobile apps, you don't have to go to Silicon Valley. You don't have to go to someone else to do the mobile app testing. We can do the mobile app testing for you in rural communities. And so trying to identify what young people really care about and then how to expose them to something broader to show them where the opportunities are. And we're starting to get some amens in the in the comments. So uh, you're you're preaching well. Uh, and uh, I think they were also applying to Dale and Laura as well. But, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, the possibility of, of IT careers and getting that that early start there. Karen Schultz also mentions the importance of uh, the role that manufacturing companies can play in you know, getting people that early exposure and see that manufacturing is something that uh, is uh, could be for them. In many cases, people have, have thought manufacturing is uh, something that their parents did or their grandparents did. But, you know, today's manufacturing is very different and giving people the opportunity to actually go into some of the plants and see what it's like and seeing the work that they'll do. Uh, can be really important. And obviously, it's hugely important for the economy as well. We also haven't mentioned yet uh, the importance of the skilled trades. And you know, these are jobs where someone can go to a community college, get some training. Uh, and you know, we can't build enough houses right now. We can't uh, plumb enough houses. We can't uh, do enough carpentry right now because there just aren't as many skilled people as there used to be. And the skilled artisans that we had are aging out. And uh, that's clearly an important part of building our future is being able to build our future or pour the concrete for our future. Laura, have you seen any change in enrollments among the skilled trades professions that you offer at Blue Ridge? Well, we're starting, we're actually starting to see that this semester in particular, this fall, we've got construction, electrical, plumbing, and HVAC, which are really, really, we really need people as quickly as possible in those trades. So we're starting to see some movement. I think uh, going even going back though to the middle school, high school, the challenge that we have, what's, we call it the interest gap. And that, that's also, we include manufacturing in that group too. They're, the students, the younger students just don't understand that you can become a plumber. You can become a plumber and make more than a president of a community college does. You can become an electrician and make a lot of money. And so I think, again, it's that exposure to that opportunity, I, that, that's essential. And also, um, Reverend Garriard mentioned this a little bit, but looking at those underserved populations that are actually doing these things, but don't realize that they can start their own business and the opportunities that how they can, the money that they can make is just incredible. So we are starting to see some movement, but we've got to address the interest gap and make sure it's introduced at a very early age about those opportunities. Got it. Um, I wonder if we could go back to the map that shows these local education attainment collaboratives. Um, it's uh, this set of counties across the state that are pioneering these partnerships, but one of the folks in our chat is, is asking how they can get involved. And so I want to show people where these things are already underway, but also just get advice from you guys about um, 
where someone could go. Let's say someone works for a manufacturing company. They're concerned about labor shortages or they're concerned about the pipeline for tomorrow. How do they get connected uh, maybe to these local education attainment collaboratives if they're in that area, but also how does someone get involved in the larger work of My Future NC if they want to make sure their voice is, uh, is heard? Well, well, let me get... Go ahead. No, Laura, you, you, you go ahead. I'll, I can talk about my future, but you go ahead from the local perspective. So I was, I was thinking about if you're in the Land of Sky area, obviously our local COG, but also the Workforce Board, to get involved with the Workforce Board because they're an integral part, or to connect with your community college. There's multiple routes for getting involved, uh, whether you're at the K-12, whether you're in the community college, even our universities. And then aligning all that work with our um, with our workforce partners in our industry. So I would just say go through your local workforce board, call call your local president at your community college. There's multiple pathways into this. Certainly, from the statewide perspective, Cecilia Holden is our is our leader at My Future. I'm sure she'd be happy to talk to any person who wanted to uh, to talk to her. Um, her, you know, the, we have a website. You can go to the My Future NC website. Um, and you could connect with us, you know, very easily through that. Um, I, I, all volunteers are welcome. Got it. Reverend Gaylord, if somebody wanted to uh, speak to their pastor and encourage them to, to get going on this, what's, what's your suggested approach strategy for someone who wants to see maybe their faith community get more involved? Yeah, sure. I think there are a lot of churches that have standalone 501c3s where they do this kind of work out of. Um, and so I would say check to see if there's some a standalone 501c3 that your church has. A lot of times they have CDCs, community development corporations that they're operating out of. Um, and then you have your, you know, you don't have to start this work at the church. You could just partner with someone. So you could start seeing what communities and schools is doing in your area, what the Boys and Girls Club or what United Way is doing. So it doesn't necessarily have to come directly from the church, it can, but to partner with other agencies that are doing this work, there are a lot of community-based organizations to partner with. Got it. Um, you know, Dale, how much of this effort? Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I wanted to just touch on one thing though. We, we've talked a lot about, you know, increasing awareness, increasing, you know, people's mindset about what potential uh, opportunities might might exist. But we we can't ignore just fundamental needs for what, what we call academic readiness. You know, just being prepared, you know, uh, making sure that, you know, our, our students are able to read and write and arithmetic. You know, these these are fundamental skills. And I, I'm encouraged that you know, we're, I, I believe we're beginning to make some progress, particularly with some of the initiatives that VPI is making on, you know, the reading the modifications and, and how we teach reading, you know, pr pr primarily at the early grades. Uh, and also there's, you know, programs now, I think that community colleges are partnering with, you know, DPI on remediation programs so that, you know, students that are going into community college are more prepared from what I'll call the basic academic principles. So we, we, we can't ignore, you know, just fundamental, what I'll call fundamental education, reading, writing, arithmetic, you know, those things are important in virtually every aspect of um, in the business community. Yeah, and a good, a good model of that is apprenticeship programs. That, that is a key model 
that helps to teach, uh, get them ready for the workforce, get them ready for uh, community college, get them ready for training, but it also teaches them how to show up on time, how to communicate, how to be respectful um, in the workplace. So we try to teach that, but uh, again, that, and that's just kind of part of it, but readiness, is that's a huge piece of it. We're, we're starting from a deficit, right? And we need to uh, bring those individuals to a point where they can actually be successful in the starting gate, right? As they start out the door. Right. I could not agree more. If I could just real quick, Leslie, I think we've not touched on the significance of where the pipeline begins and how in every North Carolina County, we need to make sure that we have children at three and four years old going into North Carolina pre-K programs. I, I use this analogy, it's sometimes offensive to people, but I don't mean for it to be. You know, Firestone can have the best production line going, but if they begin with bad rubber, they're not gonna make a good tire. And we have to recognize that when kids wind up first, second grade, and they're already behind in terms of sight words and in terms of what they've learned, we're putting them in that pipeline where they're already having challenges and we're tasking public education to kind of fix it midstream. And I don't think it's a good model. And I think we need to invest heavily. Maybe this is my legislator hat coming on now, but we need to invest heavily at that North Carolina pre-K. And then we need churches. Here's the pastor hat. You have that child for an hour on Sunday morning, an hour and 15 minutes for Sunday school. Well, you know what? Spend 20 minutes on literacy. You can teach them the Bible. You can't, they can't read the Bible anyway if they can't read. And so spend some time on literacy while you have that captive student there. So we need to take some responsibilities as well as parents and as faith-based and community-based organizations to help those children get off to a really, really good start. I could not agree with Dale enough. We we can't we can't minimize the importance of academic readiness. And people that are successful, they have a certain skill set. And they their those skill sets are transferable. And so being a good reader, keeping a book in front of a child, being a critical thinker, being a continual learner, those are skill sets that we need to embed in kids early on. Let me ask each of you maybe one semi-final question. And for you, Reverend Galeyard, what's what's the role of the state in this overall effort? You've talked just now about some of it, maybe maybe standard setting or other things like that. We've talked about local. What's the role uh, of the state legislature in helping to crack this nut? I think we're going to have to, we're, we're, we're the byproduct right now of years of having invested well in K-12 community colleges and four-year colleges. We can't pull back now. We have to continue making that investment at the K-12 level and especially at the pre-K level. We're gonna pay for it on the back end if we don't. We're gonna pay for it through you know, people in, in government services, with people in imprisonment, with crime. We're gonna pay for it anyway. So we might as well pay for it on the front end. I, I think secondarily, I think our role is to the point of this happening at the local level. We're gonna have to give local school, local ed education agencies, our LEAs, some flexibility. We're gonna have to give them some time and some ability to contextualize locally what we can tell them what we want the byproduct to be, but we got we have to let them flex to work with their individual stakeholders and community groups and their areas of philanthropy to get 
localized, uh, localized education to look the way it needs to look in their context. So we got to be flexible and we don't, sometimes in the General Assembly, we're not given the flexibility that I think is needed. So, so there I fit it. <laughs> Dale, talk about the role of the My Future NC Commission. Both both Reverend Gailiard and President uh, Leatherwood are uh, on the local, uh, on the commission part of the uh, My Future NC. But uh, talk about the role of that statewide organization. Reverend Gailiard talked about the General Assembly. You've got members of the General Assembly. You've got the leaders of each of the big education uh, organizations in the state. You've got the business sector. Everybody's at that table. What's, what's your role as, as this effort inches toward 2030? What do you see your, your stewardship role being? Well, I, I, think, I think we have a, a very important role of being a um, sort of a, an organization that facilitates, collects, and then disseminates you know, the ideas and information that is necessary to make this uh, a reality, this, this attainment goal become a reality across our state. Um, we have a unique perspective because of the, of the people who do sit at our table. They are decision makers. They can make things happen. And whether that's, you know, modification of how we teach people how to read, whether that's creating, you know, um, opportunities in community colleges across the state, whether that's changing curriculum at the university level, um, that group of people has a unique responsibility. And, and that's what attracted me, as I said earlier, that's what attracted me to this organization because it can and touch local communities through these, you know, the, the collaborations that we've got in place, the ones that are that will be in place as we move into the future. I think that has a, um, a, a profound impact, has the ability to have a profound impact all across North Carolina. So um, I, I feel a, a um, I feel a strong sense of responsibility for this group. It, it is an important organization. It is one that can really move the needle and make a difference, but it, it has to be an organization that listens. It, it is a collaborative organization. It, it is an aggregator of ideas. It is a promoter of good practices across the state, sharing best practices. It, it just has to be a, um, you know, a caring, committed organization that um, that doesn't have you know lots of egos but it just work, focuses on getting results and getting work done. That's really what I think that organization needs to do. President Leatherwood, last word here. How do you turn this into a movement with people passionate about it and everyone coming together and pushing toward this common goal? How do you get more disciples uh, following following this, this path that you've begun to lay out? Well, I might live in a, a dream world, but I already think it's a movement. Right. And, and we're we're making a difference already. But I do I think about some of the things that frustrate our agencies. And I look at the role of my future NC and and I look at the role of the legislature. We need to drive policy. We need to drive investment. We also need to drive flexibility. Sometimes we get in our own way. And I think that um, being able to set those things aside and really drive some drive the ability to do this work at the local level is absolutely critical. And I, I think that you will see, you'll see the movement. All right. Well, thank you to all of you. Uh, president Laura Leatherwood, the president of Blue Ridge Community College, uh, Reverend James Gailiard, also a state representative from National Edgecombe Counties, 
and uh, Dale Jenkins, the co-chair of the My Future NC Commission. Thank you all for being part of this. Thank you. Thank you, Leslie. We'll continue these conversations about attainment over the next few months. Uh, we think it's one of the big emerging issues in our state, something that we have to get right if we're going to be successful going forward into the future. That's our show, though. First in Future is based on an idea from IEI Communications Director Greg Hedgepath. It's produced every week by James Herrick, uh, slides by Renee Potts, social media and chat from Kirsten Chang. Thanks to Pat Cronin of the Institute for Emerging Issues, who's sort of our lead thinker on attainment issues, and Cecilia Holden, as uh, Dale Jenkins mentioned, the uh, CEO of My Future NC. If you want to find out more about My Future NC, you can go to myfuturenc, all one word, dot O-R-G. If you like today's show, we hope you'll let your friends know about it and look for the recording on IEI's YouTube channel or on our website, emergingissues.org. Next time, we move west to look at the after effects of some of the worst flooding that they've had in our Western North Carolinas, ever, our Western North Carolina counties ever. Uh, you can see some of the pictures of uh, what happened in uh, mid-August. 98 people rescued, six people dead, an estimated $20 million in damages after a foot of rain fell in a day. After the flood water floodwaters recede, we add up the damage to Western North Carolina counties and communities and ask what would need to change to help flooding be less damaging in Western North Carolina. Our guests are going to be longtime director of NEMAC, Jim Fox, the mayor of Canton, Zeb Smathers, uh, whose town saw some of the worst flooding, and Yancey County Emergency Management Coordinator Jeff Howell, who saw who got hardest hit and figured out how to help. Hope you'll join us September 14th, 9 to 10 a.m. for First in Future Live. I'm Leslie Boney for all of us at NC State's Institute for Emerging Issues. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you in the future. Thank you for listening to First in Future, where emerging ideas take flight. This weekly podcast has been presented by the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University. Please visit us online at emergingissues.org.